Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Lodro Rinsler. Lodro is a practitioner and teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist lineage. He began meditating as a child and sat retreats as a teenager, even going as far as attending a silent month-long retreat during which he shaved his head and took monastic robes and vows. After leaving college, he was recruited to the position of the executive director of the Boston Shambhala Center. He began leading numerous workshops at meditation centers and college campuses throughout the United States. Lodro also served as the head of development for Shambhala internationally before founding the Institute for Compassionate Leadership, the Daily Dharma Gathering, and MNDFL. Lodro is a writer, and Lodro's columns appear regularly on the Huffington Post, Mary Claire, and Elephant Journal, and he's been featured on WNYC, WBUR, Fox, the CBC, Bloomberg, Business Week, Forbes, and Fast Company. He's the author of five books, The Buddha Walks Into a Bar, Walk Like a Buddha, The Buddha Walks Into the Office, Sit Like a Buddha, but we're here today to talk about his latest book, which actually is launching uh, during this interview. It's called How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. Basically, his resume is longer than my leg. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I think some of the some of the things that he's he's done is absolutely incredible. If you've been wanting to learn more about meditation, if you have a solid meditation practice, don't shy away from this podcast because there's there's still lots of valuable information. Even if you do have a really solid meditation practice, and especially if you don't, if you don't have a solid meditation practice, then definitely tune in. You know, some of the things that we talk about is how to meditate, how to get into some of that. Uh, even if you don't feel like you know how, which is a common theme. So uh, sit back, relax, maybe close your eyes, yeah, cross maybe your close legs. Your eyes. Yeah. Oh, 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 you know what we need to talk about? What? We need to share the uh, the one-day event in November with people. Awesome. So Tell them all um, about it. Really quick, we've talked about it on a couple of the last podcasts. We have an announcement, which is pretty awesome and exciting. The team has been busting their ass to put this event together. It's going to be November 7th, Vancouver Convention Center. We have some really, really great speakers, uh, Jay Demer the ex-captain of the Whitecaps, Satyan Raha, who is the founder of Warrior Stage, Philip McKernan, who's spoken on stage with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama, Daryl Kopke, who is the founder of Institute B and the current CEO of Kit and Ace, who is also the uh, sixth employee with Lululemon, so he's worked very close with Chip Wilson. And last but not least, Mr. Brian Scudamore, who is the founder of the O2E brand or 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So that's one of the cool things. And then finally, if you want to win a pair of tickets and you want to put your, your sort of proverbial hat in the in, in, in the bin for a draw, you know, that, that's not even a saying, but that's okay. Who puts their hat in a bin? I don't know. We don't put a hats in bins. <laughs> Any, anyway, if you want to if you want to put your name in the hat, there we go. That's then, what the actual thing. And then put it in the bin. <laughs> put the freaking hat in the bin. <laughs> if you want to do that, we have started a bit of a social movement. So we've started something called man it forward and we've all heard about the idea of pay it forward everybody everybody knows what that is for the most part and what we've done is we we've created a hashtag called hashtag man it forward so if you want to win a pair of tickets this is what you do one you go on to your instagram account uh, or your twitter account or whatever your whatever your favorite social media account is preferably twitter instagram and facebook and you put up a photo of one of your buddies or yourself 
and you write a little story about about why this person is incredible or what it actually means to be a man and you use the hashtag man it forward and you you tag in you know three of your buddies that you you think are really like living that quality or or really exuding what it means to be a, a modern man today so that's pretty much it man it forward hashtag man it forward use it tag your friends in it have some fun with it and every time that you use it that'll put your name in a draw to win some tickets for the november 7th event awesome so let's uh let's bring on uh lodo rinzer it's not the best quality of audio that we've ever recorded before so apologies for that thanks for your patience um, but there's some really amazing uh, messaging uh, messages to learn from it so uh please enjoy you've got some living yet to do Uh, Lodra, thanks so thanks so much for joining us on the Man Talks podcast. You're joining us today from New York City. Whereabouts in New York are you? I am in Brooklyn, New York. Been here for many a year, and it's a wonderful, wonderful day to be with you guys. It's actually the day of the book launch for my new book, How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. I know that's absolutely <laughs> awesome, and thanks so much for taking the time to to join us on such a momentous day. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I actually, I really like the title. I think it's pretty incredible. Um, especially because you put the love yourself first, right? I think that's that's kind of uh, the the key of the message. I think maybe yes, it is. Yeah, that you know, the more we actually get to know ourselves, befriend ourselves, and ultimately love ourselves, the more love we have for other human beings. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I like it. Awesome. Uh, to just uh, give the listeners a little bit of context, I'm wondering if you can, you know, sort of uh, g- give everyone an idea of who you are and and what it is you do, and sort of uh, how you came to the to the point of writing this book. Sure. Well, I'm a trained assassin. And <laughs> Actually, we've already had a trained assassin on the podcast, so uh... no. <laughs> uh, no, I was raised within the Shambhala Buddhist tradition, so I've been meditating for most of my life. And uh, gosh, going back to when I was 17, you know, I ran off to the monastery and tried out that life for a little while, and then came right back into the worldly endeavors and. Ended up running the Shambhala Meditation Center in Boston for a number of years, the one here in New York. And back in 2012, January 2012, my first book came out called The Buddha Walks Into a Bar. And that's sort of when I switched into full-time uh, teaching meditation and writing. So this is book number five, uh, How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. And that seems to be the main thing I do is that writing and talking about meditation. I travel a lot and do a lot of speaking at universities, corporations, even Capitol Hill, the White House, things like that. Just trying to make meditation really, really accessible to people. Awesome. And I actually, I, I first learned about you um, through the Meditation in the City podcast. Um, heard one of your talks, and then I started listening to more and more. And, and uh, just, I think you're just a fantastic speaker, and, and really enjoy um, everything you're, you're putting out in the world. Um, wondering if you can just. Take us a little bit back. You said you ran off to the monastery. Uh, that definitely deserves a, a, a story to it. Um, how did you? How did you come to do, be doing that? Yeah, it's, it sounds more dramatic than it really is. Um, you know, I, as I said, I was seventeen, and I'm sitting there in my room. My parents knock on my door, and they say, "You know what would make a great college essay? Uh, if you went to this Buddhist monastery for the summer." And you know, I was like a young, ambitious guy, and I thought. Oh, yeah, you know, that would. So I, I ran off there and shaved my head, took the robes, the whole nine yards, you know, long periods of silence, meditation, and all of that, and came back. And they were right. It totally 
was a wonderful essay I got into my first choice college. And it absolutely backfired on them because I immediately, when I got there, only wanted to do meditation and Buddhist studies. It was a very expensive and time-consuming religious studies degree. And that's, you know, it's just sort of, I couldn't go back at that point. Having had a deep dive into the meditation practice, there was no way that I was going to do something else with my life. Very cool. Very cool. And so, um, you know, with the, with the meditation practice, like, did you grow up with a very spiritual family? Yeah, so I my parents became Buddhists when they were in their 20s. So I'm sort of a rare breed in that I'm a second generation Buddhist practitioner. You know, I was raised my they were Jewish growing up, but they converted to Buddhism when they're in their 20s and so I was I was definitely raised within this tradition. Very neat. So what was it like to grow up in a very spiritual family? Sorry, in a, in a very spiritual family. Oh, a very spiritual, very strict family. <laughs> But it was, you know, it's funny because people ask me, oh, what was it like being raised Buddhist? That must have been so interesting. I didn't know. I that well, I had nothing to compare it to, you know? It's not like I was going to church for a number of years and then all of a sudden we didn't go to church. It's like I was always raised within this container of, okay, we, you know, your parents meditate and ideally that makes them kinder, better human beings. And they never pushed it on me. So it was more of like me exploring it on my own. And just saying, oh, I want to give this a try. And they walked in on me when I was six years old meditating and grilled me a little bit on it. They said, you know, what, are you, what, what were you doing there? So I was just staying with the breath. And they said, I see. And what happened when you, when you got distracted? And I said, well, I'd, I'd try and come back to the breath. And they said, okay. And, and um, you know, it was uh, – it's like they never really pushed me in that way. But it was always around. So it was just always a part of my experience. All right. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool to, to just be sort of like, you know, sent down that path. Is it just something that was within you? Like I, even as a kid, I think it's pretty fascinating. Like not many kids will, will just want to go and sit in that space and, and meditate and explore and sit with the breath. And, you know, I, th I think that's a, I mean, somewhat, somewhat unique. And so I'm, I'm curious as to whether that was, just something that you you were curious about because most kids are like, oh, I want to go outside and play and play with my friends. Um, you know, what sort of calls you to 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 sort of find that presence and find that peace within you? Oh, I hate it outside. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't know what it was exactly. I will say this, you know, in terms of exploring this topic of how to love yourself and sometimes other people and, you know, sort of the Buddhist angle on all of this. I was raised in a culture, what I would say within my tradition is often referred to as basic goodness. So, you know, I think in our society, a lot of times we're surrounded by movies and uh, billboards and commercials and the internet saying, you know what, you're not actually that good. You need something external to yourself to actually make yourself whole. And I was raised within this Buddhist tradition that says, no, 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 innately you're whole, innately you're good, innately you're awake, and you just have to discover that. So I think having been, having received that message growing up, I was more interested in exploring it than some of the other things that were distractions, which is not to say I didn't sit around watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I did. But there is an alternative of like, oh, I can also just be with myself and that's okay too. Um, so what, what if you can, we, we can talk about your book. Uh, how did the, how did the book come about? So the book was, I mean, I've been exploring the concept of like this whole love thing for quite some time in my writing, but I remember 
during my first book tour for the Buddha Walks Into a Bar, I was traveling to Boston. And I was doing this thing that I, I now do quite frequently, where I lead a day-long workshop. We go through a lot of different Buddhist teachings. And then at the end of the day, um, we do a exercise where everyone offers a challenge or an obstacle, something that they're working on. And we put it in a bowl anonymously and I pull it out and I read it out loud. And then at that point I shut up and let the participants bring their own wisdom to that particular challenge. And it was the first time that this had happened when I was in Boston that I pulled out a piece of paper and my heart just broke because it was someone that had written, my boyfriend never tells me that he loves me. I don't feel worthy of being loved. And the people that were there had wonderful things to say in terms of communication and relationships and things like that, but it didn't quite strike the core of it to me. And I remember I traveled to another place and we did the same exercise and someone else had written, I don't feel whole enough to be loved. Someone else in another city, I said, I don't, I feel broken and that I can't accept someone else's love. And over and over again, this message of like, wow, we, so many of us struggle with this concept of, being loved or being willing to accept love and love others. So, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about the, the part of the Buddha where he, after going through all these spiritual endeavors, just sat down, did a basic meditation practice. And the more he looked at himself, the more he realized that at his core, he wasn't basically messed up or basically incomplete. He was basically good. He was basically whole. He was basically awake. And we don't look to the Buddha as someone who came to save us or like an alien being or anything like that. He's a human like you and me. So he's not alone. We can do the same thing. We can wake up to our own ability to love and be loved. And, and having just seen this as such an issue over and over again, I, I felt compelled to actually sit down and write this book. And I'm joined in it by um, wonderful and dear friend, Megan Watterson, who uh, comes from a Christian background. And her first book was called Reveal. When she and I met at a writer's festival, we were happened to be on the same panel. We did a book swap and I read her next book in one day. And I said, oh my God, this person's talking about all the things that I talk about. Only it's from a Christian lens. She sort of goes away from, from the idea of original sin and toward the idea of divine worth. And I say, you know, I say basic goodness. She says divine worth, but we're talking about the same thing that innately we're whole. And when we actually start to date or fall in love with someone, we're not asking them to complete us. We're asking them to mirror back that wholeness. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of like the key. I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, like so many people often, it's not that they don't want to receive love. It's that they, they feel as though they don't know how, and they, they stop themselves from actually receiving love externally when, you know, one of the main issues is that they don't know how to give love to themselves, right? Like they don't know how to actually like receive love and see that they're whole and complete and, and already lovable just as they are. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe give us some insight into some of the key practices that, that you have for yourself and that you work with other people to kind of give them, uh, not give them, but help them uncover that space within themselves. Yeah. This is, it's a great question. It's like, okay, I get it. I should love myself, but how do I actually do that work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are, the, what are the tools? What are the tools? So, I mean, you know, there's so many different things that one could pursue, right? But the main tool that I often encourage is meditation practice. Yes, I grew up meditating. So, you know, it's like, of course, that's what I would go to. But meditation 
says, it's okay to look directly at yourself. You know, one of the, my favorite words in Tibetan for meditation is gom, G-O-M. And yes, it's translated as meditation, but it's also translated as become familiar with or familiarization. And it's the idea that we can actually become familiar with who we are. And through becoming familiar with all aspects of ourselves, the creative side and the side that's full of potential and inspiration and the completely neurotic, confused parts of ourselves that we often want to ignore, that's how we befriend ourselves. And that's how we ultimately fall in love with ourselves. And it's just revealing, sort of peeling back the layers of the onion. We reveal more and more of who we are, the more we actually are willing to look at ourselves. So that's the beautiful thing about meditation. The particular practice that I encourage is called shamatha or calm abiding meditation. And it's quite simple. It's just staying with the breath as a way to become more present. It's almost like too simple for most people. It's like, oh, all I have to do is sit here, you know, sit up straight and just watch my breathing. And it's, it sounds very easy, but it's not. It's actually our mind wants to go in a million different directions at once. And to stay focused on one thing, i.e. the present moment, is harder than it looks. So the more we're able to um, sort of notice when we drift off into thought, the more familiar we are with all those various aspects of our mind. But then it also has all these added benefits of the more we meditate, the kinder we become. The more present we are, the more we show up authentically and genuinely for all aspects of our life, including both the painful and pleasurable parts of it. So it's a very practical tool in that regard. Yeah, it's that's pretty. It's pretty incredible. I think you know, like when I was so just to give you some background, like I used to be a classical singer, so like I sang opera, and one of the things that we had to do on a consistent basis was these um, breath exercises where it would. It would sort of like force you to not only exp expand your lung capacity, but but just really you know work on your breath and be present to your breath, and and it would allow you to drop into your body and get into your body in a way and into your mind in a way that you otherwise wouldn't experience. And I think back to that time, and it, it's kind of funny because just sitting and doing breath exercises um, during university were some of my most meditative tranquil times because um, you know in the beginning of university I wasn't meditating at that time so it was like my own personal little form of meditation just by doing breath exercises which was pretty fascinating so all right uh, man talks community so we just wanted to take a minute to tell you about something that's really exciting it's it's something that you know the entire team has been working on for quite a while and it's something that the Mantox community has actually been asking for. Uh, you know, we put on monthly events and we get, you know, 150, 175 people out every month. And the community has really been asking for a full one day event and for us to bring in some some great speakers and to, to host a big event. So that's what we've done. Um, we've we've pulled together some pretty incredible speakers. And we have an event coming up on November 7th at the Vancouver Convention Center. So just to give you a quick idea uh, of who's coming to speak, we have uh, Brian Scrone, who is the founder of uh, Board Meetings. And he's going to be flying up from California to come and talk. He's spoken at Harvard and the Pentagon, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Some top secret stuff probably happened there. Uh, we've got Philip McKernan, which if you know of Philip McKernan, he's a very powerful speaker. Uh, he's spoken on stage with the likes of, you know, Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama and some other crazy, crazy people around the world. Um, we've got Daryl Kotke, the CEO of Kitten Ace. 
Uh, Daryl was fortunate enough to be the sixth employee at Lululemon and work his way up and is now founded uh, Chip Wilson's new company, which is absolutely incredible. Um, we also have Sachin Raha, who is the founder of Warrior Sage. We have uh, Jay Demerit, who is the ex-captain of the White Caps. And we have Brian Scudamore, who is the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So we have some absolutely, absolutely amazing speakers, and we've worked really, really hard to, to bring you a, just a kick-ass quality event. So we really hope that you'll check it out again. It's called the Man Talks Intensive, and that is going to be November 7th at the Vancouver Convention Center. So for more details, just check out the uh, Man Talks website. And, uh, but, with Connor, that, but Connor, yeah, you don't even need to go to the site right now and get tickets because we have a chance for you to win tickets to the event itself. Oh, you're right. Yeah. All right. you need to do is... Post something that you think represents a modern man on social media. Tag three friends that you think are kicking ass and hashtag it man at forward for a chance to win two tickets to the Man Talks intensive event on November November 7th in Vancouver. Like Connor said, full details can be found at mantalks.com. All you need to do is post a picture, a quote, a video, just something that you think represents a modern man. Don't forget to tag three of your friends that you think are kicking ass, really, really showing what it means to be a modern man, and hashtag it, man it forward for your chance to win two tickets to the Man Talk Intensive event. Very cool. Awesome. I love it. Man, man it forward, my friends. Man it forward. <laughs> man it forward. Let's get back to somebody who's definitely manning it forward. You know, for the for our listeners out there, do you have any any insight into I mean, you talked about a couple of things, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the guys that I've talked to have been like, oh, I don't know how to meditate, or I really struggle, or you know, I can't get comfortable, and and there's sort of all these perceived obstacles to meditation, and people want to meditate. So, you know, can, can you maybe address a couple of these obstacles, like how to get comfortable, maybe the sitting posture, and and maybe talk about a, a quick breath exercise that can just get people into that into that space of comfortability with, with trying this out? Yes. So let me start by just saying anyone can meditate. And, you know, I was at a, a bar a few weeks ago, and my friend Corey, she said, you know, I tried meditation, didn't work for me. And I said, oh, really? What happened? She said, well, I tried it like three times and now, and I didn't feel any more peaceful. I just thought about how I wanted to clean my apartment. And I thought, okay, this is a pretty typical response of like, I gave it a shot and it doesn't work. It's probably just me. I'm the one that got it wrong. I don't know how to do it right. My apartment isn't set up for this, whatever, you know, obstacles we come up with. But the thing is we can meditate anywhere and in any circumstance. So I will, I'll offer a short meditation that we can, I'll just guide us through it. If you are seated on the ground, you can just sit with your legs loosely crossed. But if you're in a chair, you can just sit with your feet about hips width apart, firmly on the ground. And if you're driving, please pull over. <laughs> one, in this sense of like being present and just focusing on one thing, like maybe if you're listening to this, just do this for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're cleaning your house, like stop cleaning the house, sit down for a second. We won't do this very long, I promise. But um, you just sit, actually feeling your sits bones digging into the seat beneath you, the weight of your body on the earth, and taking a moment to land physically in your body is really important. So if you want, you can take a deep breath to start. And then you can elongate upwards through your spine. 
which doesn't mean to sort of pull up your shoulders. A lot of times people do that. We actually can just imagine a string at the top of your head pulling you straight up. So we're allowing the muscles in our shoulders and in our back to relax. Because a lot of us are used to slouching, it might be helpful to just drop your hands and your thighs, palms down. This gives you a little bit of extra support for your back and it's actually known as resting energy, that particular position. Our head just rests at the top of our spine with our chin slightly tucked in. You can bring a sense of relaxation to the muscles in your face, allowing the muscles around your eyes to relax, and your cheeks, and your jaw. Your jaw may hang open, which is fine. You could even place your tongue up against the roof of your mouth, allowing for clear breathing. And in this particular meditation, if you'd like, you can close your eyes. Although generally, I recommend that you leave your eyes open. Just resting your gaze about two to four feet ahead of you on the ground in a loose and unfocused manner. And this allows us to wake up to what is going on right now. We don't have to block any of our senses. We don't have to ignore our environment. And now what I'm going to ask that we do for just a few minutes is bring our full attention to our breathing, both the physical sensation of the out-breath and the in-breath. You don't have to change or alter your breathing at all. Just allow it to occur as it always does. Just rest with the breath. Feel the breath as it is. And when you notice that your mind gets distracted, which it will, it will happen. We don't beat ourselves up. We don't think we're failing at meditation. We just allow ourselves to relax and come back to the breath. If it's helpful, you could even very gently and silently say the word thinking. We acknowledge the thought. We say thinking. And then we come back to the breath. Oh, you know what I'm going to do for lunch? Thinking. Come back to the breath. 
And when you're ready, you can raise your gaze or open your eyes if your eyes were closed and come back to the space. You can go back to cleaning your apartment or driving your car. <laughs> that's the end of the meditation. It's really that simple. So this is known as shamatha or calm abiding meditation. It's the exact practice that the Buddha did 2,600 years ago in order to wake up in a really big way. And this is also the practice that has really been studied by all these scientists in recent years. So all of these science around meditation, they're not talking about like vast visualization meditation. They're talking about this, just being present with the breath so that we can be more present in our day-to-day life. And, you know, there's all this discovery around uh, how there's more gray matter in the hippocampus, which means that we have reduced stress because of meditation, better focus, better memory, we're more resilient. There's more activity in the ACC part of the brain, which means that there's we have less knee-jerk reactions. There's more self-regulation going on in the brain. So there's lots of science all of a sudden coming out saying, oh, that 2,600 years of people meditating. No, no, no. They, they actually got it right, which is always reassuring. Um, <laughs> So it's it's a funny time to be to be teaching meditation in that way. Yeah, I think the the funny the funny thing is is that so many people are like, "Oh, I can't meditate. I can't meditate." And my response is usually, "Can you breathe?" Yep. Yeah, okay. Well, if you can breathe, then you can meditate. And it's really just about, you know, getting getting in tune with that and just allowing the thoughts to come. I think a lot of people end up, you know, and for the listeners out there, I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of the listeners that are like, "Oh yeah, I've tried to meditate." And because I have thoughts, then I feel like I've failed. And, you know, I think the the nice thing about the meditation practice is that you just acknowledge that the thoughts are going to come up and you acknowledge that they're there and and you sort of like let them pass. And over time, it's kind of like stilling the water in a pond because there's there's always, you know, there's always going to be water moving around. And the, the goal is to really not force the water to be calm because that just creates more ripples, but to just notice and allow and allow it to calm naturally. So I, you know, I, I really like that, that, that practice. How is, how is it maybe different than something like, um, Zazen, like, like the traditional Zazen meditation? Is it, is it different? Is it the same? I'm, I'm not even too sure. It's very, very similar. I mean, really, you know, you might go within the Buddhist tradition, you might go to one place and they tell you to put your palms up and another place says palms down. One place might say eyes open, another eyes closed. And this is simple stuff where, you know, Buddhism spread from India to Tibet and looks one way and spread to China and looks another way. And wherever it would go, it sort of mesh with the culture and adapts slightly. And it's all very valuable. So it's just different emphases in different ways, but it is very similar to, to Zazen, what we just did. Mm. L- Lodro, um, you, you, in your book, you talk about how uh, in order to love yourself, you, you need to um, look within yourself. Um, you know, this is the Man Talks podcast and, 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 and our you know, primary audience is men and, and men and men have a tendency to sometimes find looking within themselves difficult because it requires you to be uh, vulnerable. I'm wondering if you can perhaps touch on this and, and talk about um, some ways in which men can, can look within themselves without uh, <laughs> sort of scaring themselves. <laughs> huh, sure. Yeah, you know, I often, uh, I do a lot of talks at corporations and things like that. And in, it has, you know, a lot of our corporations have a lot of masculine energy there where people are 
they're like, why would everyone be vulnerable? I have a lot of stuff I have to get done. You know, and it's, it's a similar sort of question. And whenever this topic comes up, I think about um, President Barack Obama because he's standing up in front of the free world and saying, you know, I've got these issues I've got to address. And for example, when the tragedy happened in Newtown, Connecticut, there was a massive shooting. Children, teachers, families fell apart and lives were lost. And he could have just gotten up and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do gun control reform and this is where that's going to happen and X, Y, and Z. He got up and he said, you know, I'm a father. I can't imagine what it's like to lose my kid. And he started crying in front of everyone. This, there's so much strength within that vulnerability. So I think sometimes we think vulnerability is a weakness. Vulnerability can be a real strength if it's genuine, authentic. It's, a, it's an opportunity to invite people into connecting with us in a way that they would not normally connect. So I think there's something quite powerful about becoming vulnerable. And, you know, I mean, the thing about meditation is like no one knows what's going on but you. So, you know, it's not like you're, you're sitting there meditating in front of, uh, you know, naked in front of the classroom. You're, you're just doing it on your own. What I often recommend for people is just taking 10 minutes out of your morning and, and giving it a try. And you can do it in your bedroom. You can do it in your living room. Like no one, you only do it for you. It's you forming a deeper relationship with yourself. And yes, I get that there can be some scary aspect to it. It's a little bit like going up to an addict that you haven't been in in a long time and shining a light around and be like, oh, this is horrible. I don't want to be here. Um, but if you do it every day for 10 minutes, it becomes a little bit different. In the same way that if you went out to that attic for 10 minutes, looked around that first day, the second day you moved some things up, third day you sort of did a little cleaning. After a couple of days or a couple of weeks, all of a sudden it's like a nice spacious hangout area. You want to be there. You want to actually be in that space. The same goes for our mind. The more we actually get over that initial hesitation to be vulnerable, to actually look at ourselves, the more we actually befriend ourselves and find our overall life becomes more workable. Very cool. Yeah, I think one of the one of the keys there is that so many people are looking for that sort of like external validation and external um, praise, so that when they when they do something, they we're, we're so conditioned to to get this immediate feedback from other people, like yes, that was great. Or we can do something or say something and look at the other person and just by reading their facial expression, judge whether or not what we've said has been accepted or not accepted or whatever the case may be. And so we're, we're almost conditioned to seek validation externally to understand whether or not we're, we're doing something properly. And I think one of the biggest and most confronting pieces of meditation is that people don't have that validation, right? That they, that they're so used to having is that they don't have this external validation of, yep, you're doing this right. You got this, no problem. Um, or no, you're not doing this right. You need to course correct. They, there's, there's no sort of external feedback loop and it's all about really building that internal feedback loop. So, uh, you know, can you, do, how do you feel this ties into intuition? Because I feel like the more that I've meditated over the past several years, the more that it's really cultivated my sense of, of intuition or gut or, um, you know, whatever, whatever name you want to use for it. Um, I feel like that internal instinct has really, really become a lot stronger through my meditation practice. So can you touch on that really quick? Yeah, it's a great point and very well said. Thank you for that. Um, you know, having meditated for 
26 years now. All I've discovered, well, I've discovered two things. One is it is a path in training how to love. That's it. Like bottom line, we learn to love ourselves. And then once we have that foundation of love, we can offer it to others. The second thing is the push and pull of the whole practice comes down to whether we actually can have confidence in our ability to be awake, our ability to be present, or if we sit around doubting ourselves. That's that's it. Like really, you know, in terms of you saying intuition or gut or any of these things, meditation is a way to just develop further confidence in our ability to just be with what's going on. And the more we do that, the more confident we are in all of the other qualities that come along with that, that we're innately kind, that we're innately strong, that we're innately wise. And we can develop deeper and deeper faith in that. Faith is an interesting word within the Buddhist tradition because we're not talking about like faith in an external being. We're faith, having faith in our own experience. So through meditation, we actually develop faith in, oh, I can just be with things as they are. Or we develop faith in, I can be kind in the face, to, face of aggression. Or we can develop faith in, I can show up authentically even when the shit's hitting the fan. And we develop further confidence in our ability, essentially, in our intuition, in our gut. And we're less likely to doubt ourselves overall, day in, day out. Very cool. So in, in sort of modern day stream of society and, and um, you know, social, social activity, how, how do you feel like success fits in this? Like how do people find a balance between being meditative and and focused and present and still being able to strive for something like success. Yeah. You know, this, a lot of times people are like, well, if I meditate, I'm just always going to be present. How am I going to get anything done? And I put this in the quality of problems right alongside like my wallet is too small for my fifties and my diamond shoes are too tight. Like these are not the sort of problems most of us have to work with. Um, it's more of like, okay, if, if you can meditate, and be present for even a part of your, like 10% of your day. That's pretty amazing. But I promise you, like the vast majority of the day, you'll still be planning, you know, doing things, etc. The thing with meditation is it allows us to be more present in the moment. So we see a situation for what it is, as opposed to what we think it is or how we want it to be. We're just, we see the panoramic situation. So if you're in an important business meeting and everyone's sort of like, fighting amongst themselves and everyone's own trying to like have their own personal opinion and win out over everyone else's. The person that can step back, be present, see the situation for what it is, and then point to that reality is the person who's going to be most effective. And that's what meditation does for you. It allows you to see reality as it is. Uh, um, so I think it's, you know, this is why it's becoming more and more popular within business situations. People say, Oh, it boosts productivity. Yeah, it does because people are more focused but it also allows people to just see the way things are and respond in accordance with what's being asked of them. That's what meditation does. And I, I love the fact that you, you know, you, you, I, I've always loved the work that you put in the world and, and how you, you know, you're, you're very real. You, you, you would, you know, you're, you're not afraid to say we all have shit going on in our lives and, and we, uh, we can't ignore the fact that, uh, uh, you know, like, like you said, we, we don't have a wallet too big for our fifties and our diamond shoes don't fit anymore. Um, 
where did you you know where did you where did you come to that realization that 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 this is what the world needs right now is 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 this sort of real voice to to the Buddhist uh, Buddhist tradition? You know, it's a weird time because I grew up reading comic books, for example, and you know, I grew up meditating. But this whole like overall trend that meditation is now something that people are starting to be interested in is is very bizarre for me. Is the people might as well tap me on the shoulder and say. Oh, you know that like 1990s X Men knowledge you have? We would love to fly you out to this university and have you talk about that. You know, it's like very weird. Um, so it's not like I discovered something and and made a a thing of it. It's like I've always been talking about meditation. It just happens that people are now interested in engaging in this conversation because they're seeing the value. It's it's becoming in vogue in some weird way, uh, in the same way that yoga did maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I'm all for that. You know, I think it's such a useful tool. And this is the only way I know to talk about it. It's like a straightforward, let's be real, and let's see how this applies to our day-to-day life. Because there's been this term that's been around for centuries, which is meditation practice. What are we practicing for? We're practicing being present with the breath for a short period of our day so we can be present for the rest of our life, all those other waking hours. That's what we're practicing for. So I think if we're if we just think of this as a hobby or like a cool trend, that's one thing. But if we look at this as a practical tool that will help us be more of who we are and embrace all aspects of our life, then it's actually transformative. And so, do you practice yoga as well? Because I know that usually meditation and yoga go kind of hand in hand. Um, you know, I I sometimes do. I don't like. I'm not a regular yoga practitioner in terms of my own mind body training. I do a lot of running. Um, it might be just my own proclivity, or it might be, you know, my, my Buddhist teacher, Sakyang Mipam Rinpoche is the author of many books, including running with the mind of meditation. And, um, I think just because I've been trained by him, I've terms of my mind body connection. I've been looking to explore lots of different ways that I, um, bring mindfulness into my activities. And that's certainly one of them. But, uh, you know, I think for people who do yoga, that's wonderful. I don't think that it all has to go hand in hand. I think people should try meditation, see how it starts to show up in their day-to-day life, and then see how they can apply it to washing the dishes, to cleaning the apartment, to running or yoga or whatever it might be. Yeah, very cool. So I think because, you know, sometimes like I'll, I'll practice a walking meditation where I just will become conscious of my breath, whether I'm walking outside downtown or, you know, if I'm at work or whatever the case may be. And I'll, I've kind of gotten to the point now where I'll practice walking meditation to just kind of refocus me and and um, get me back into the into the present moment when there can be a lot of stuff going on and a lot of uh, a lot of yeah just a lot of a lot of stuff um, so I'm kind of I'm very curious to get your perspective on you know sometimes we'll we'll ask our guests um, you know what's what's your version of of success and I'm very curious as to how you would answer that question coming from from your end of the spectrum it's a great question, actually. My version of success is, I mean, there's sort of like, what is what is my personal version? And then there's like my overall version. My overall version is how much are we actually helpful to the world? You know, that's, that's my meter, like my measuring stick. Like how helpful can I be? How helpful can other people be in terms of just trying to save this planet that is seemingly like descending into... So a lot of aggression and chaos. Uh, how can we turn the tide on that? That's my measure of success overall. For me personally, it becomes day in, day out, like how much do I show up for other people? 
how much am I just present with whomever I encounter? So here we are, we're, we're talking and it's the three of us and I'm here fully with you guys. And then when I go and do something else later today, I'm, I'm fully present with that. And I actually just trying to, sh- my daily practice in addition to my meditation is just showing up as authentically, as realistically uh, as possible throughout the day. The motivation behind that is to try and make meditation as accessible as possible to as many people. And I think we're at an interesting time where it could just be for like rich white people. And I'm seeing people who are promoting it in that way, which is sort of disgusting to me because it's something that can help everyone. And it's anyone can do it. As you said earlier, like if you breathe, you can meditate and we should demystify the fact that it has, you have to have certain equipment and certain beautiful space and all of these things in order to do it. Um, so I'm really trying to make meditation accessible to all types of people and as many people as possible. That's great. And, and Lodra, do you have a, do you have a definition, uh, for what it, what, you know, what you think it means to be a, a modern man today? Modern man. You know, I think we're seeing this resurgence of, um, like it's okay to be vulnerable as a man, as we were talking about before. And that's pretty wonderful that we don't think a modern man has to be like closed down. They don't have to like strength doesn't just have to be physical strength or reserve. It can actually be communication. It can be authenticity. It can be vulnerability. So I, I, I'm seeing that more and more in these discussions. And I, I think the modern man is someone who can balance work life, family life, spiritual life, commitment to taking care of themselves, all of it, while remaining, like walking this tightrope of finding strength and vulnerability. Very cool. That's beautiful. Um, Lodro, I'm going to start to kind of wrap it up uh, today. I know today's today's your book launch day and you've got a a bunch more interviews, I'm sure, uh, that you you need to do. Um, We're just curious, is there something... uh, other than the book that you're excited uh, to, to, to share with people, um, something that you're kind of looking forward to in the future? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in this whole vein of like trying to make meditation as accessible as possible. I've gotten lost in this new venture, which is uh, called Mindful. It's M-N-D-F-L. And it's a brand new, like first of its type meditation studio in New York. It's sort of like a yoga studio in that it's drop-in classes it's like 30 and 45 minute drop-in classes. It's led by 25 of New York's best meditation teachers from Buddhist, Vedic, Kundalini traditions, Jewish meditation, all sorts of things. And it revolves around themes. So you drop in for like a mindful sleep class if you're having trouble sleeping or mindful intention to set an intention for the day or mindful motion if you're working with some pretty strong emotions. And it's a new way of trying to make meditation really accessible to people. So if anyone is in the city and wants to come check us check us out, we're on 8th Street between University and 5th. And I'm really excited for us to launch very soon. That is very, very cool. Lodo, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Um, you know, for those for those of you out there that uh, want to pick up Lodo's book, you can pick it up on Amazon. I'm sure it's also going to be – which bookstores do you know it's going to be in? It seems like it's in most, if not all. Uh, you know, I happened to glance this morning at Barnes & Noble and they're there. And I'm, I'm sure it's at other local retailers too. That's fantastic. Uh, The book is called How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. Everyone can go to mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and any videos of our events, which are going to be coming up soon. Once again, Lodro, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. Thanks so much for having me. Perfect. Thanks, Lodro.